This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world, hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. Sometimes it's exhausting to just try and get it out and, uh, you know, sort of in this malaise after... Christmas, this between Christmas and New Year's time, maybe we're all a little fuller than we need to be. But the one thing I want to make sure that you're always overstuffed with this time of year is content. And our traditional Christmas time onslaught of content continues. This time we're back with not one, not two, but three musician interviews for a big, supersized year end spectacular. First up, I'm going to welcome back to the show Aaron Lee who in addition to his work with Y&T puts out some great solo music, which we spend a lot of time chatting about. And then I'll chat with Leo and Parker, a couple of young guys from a band called Wings of Steel. That's a fun chat. And finally, we wrap things up with the last interview I recorded in all of 2023. A gentleman named Gene Potts. He's with Colossal Street Jam. And we talked about so many things that I was not expecting to talk about. I will reference it in the interview. There are a few things that were definitely not on my bingo card that uh, we were going to talk about. So uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to Leo and Parker. But let's kick it all off by welcoming back to the show, Aaron Lee. His website is AaronLee.com, but it's spelled L-E-I-G-H, Aaron Lee. Uh, you uh, might know him from Y&T. He also puts out some great solo material, which we are going to talk about right now. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Well, thanks for having me back, Christian. It's been a probably a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I looked at I, I looked it up. Uh, I was telling you before we started. Uh, you and I talked about two and a half years ago, and I wanted to rewatch that segment uh, because I, you know, I didn't want to ask you all the same stuff. There's there's some common ground that we're going to cover a little bit, but uh, it was interesting because it was I don't know it was June of 2021, so it was like you know we were still kind of dealing with the with uh, the not quite the height of the pandemic but it was like so are you going to be able to play concerts anytime soon and you're like well i hope so you know it was kind of like that moment in time and in some ways that might have been that might have felt like it was like 15 years ago you know just to think back of like oh i'm glad that uh, you know we're at least at the part where for the most part we can go to shows but also, I was reminded that you and I had a terrible connection that day, and yeah. uh, you uh, you soldiered on, and uh, the audio version of that, uh, nobody ever was the wiser, but uh, I was kind of like breaking out into a sweat again, watching myself vamp and fill time while your connection restored. <laughs> so, we got a good connection today, though. Isn't that the key, right, Aaron? Yep. Yep. We got it today. It's rolling. Yeah. Uh, so... I uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about, uh, and I don't think this was uh, specifically in your notes back then, way back in 2021. Uh, I wanted to start off kind of talking about the role music played in your life, sort of growing up before you became a musician. And uh, there was this this great anecdote in there that I would have remembered if this was in in the bio I was given last time. Talk about the role your grandmother played in uh, getting you to take a specific interest in music. This this I thought this was great. Well, the way that I remember it was um, my grandmother on my father's side. I was five years old at the time. She came to our house and she uh, had a practice pad and some drumsticks. Right. And she 
basically just put it on the table, handed me the sticks, reached over, turned on the television, at, you know, uh, back in the 70s there. Or, yeah, it must have been like 74. Uh, and, and Mike Douglas was on with Buddy Rich. And, <laughs> right. And she wanted me to watch Buddy Rich on the Mike Douglas show and, and spark some interest, I guess. She must have seen or heard something in me. Maybe I was banging on something around the house and she probably thought, oh, he might like drums or something. So my grandmother is the one who introduced me to playing drums. And that was my first instrument. Well, and, and you know, Buddy Rich, I mean, yes, you're just sitting and watching him on TV, but it's, uh, you know, if there was a, if there was a, ever a way to set a high, a high bar for a kid, it would be like, yeah, can you can you drum like Buddy Rich? You know, it'd be like now it's like, oh, here's here's a Neil Peart video. Uh, do that. Right. You know? Right. Well, <laughs> and, well, I, I soon discovered uh, Peter Chris, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> that was that was the new fascination. Right. Well, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Kiss because uh, one of the things that I, uh, went in listening back to our earlier conversation, uh, you talked about, you heard the Led Zeppelin song, Nobody's Fault But Mine. And it's a great song, but you know, it's, it's not Black Dog. It's not, it's not even Communication Breakdown, Stay Right Heaven. It's, it's not, you know, I, it's hard to call them hits, but you know, it's not one of their biggest songs. It's a great song. But what you told me then was, that it scared you and there's something to be said about music that scares you, you know, that yeah, has, well, a, has a, like a big impact, you know, uh, the, the intro, if you're familiar with the song, which you sure, are, yeah. but I'm, you're, wa- you're the people watching, um, you know, it, it kind of just fades in and it's just got this ominous, just evil sounding guitar lick going on. And it just, you know, uh, I remember that the stereo, the record was playing in, and I didn't put this on. This was my mom's boyfriend at the time. Right. And, you know, and I was a little kid. I mean, and, and I'd never heard anything like that. And he, he had it cranked up, you know. So as it got louder and louder and louder, this big, you know, rush of, whoa, what is that? It kind of freaked me out. I got a little scared, <laughs> but I loved it. I knew that. It, I liked being scared, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's uh, really kind of the, the point, I guess, you know, and um, it's funny. It reminds me the band dangerous toys has a song about Alice Cooper called scared. And he was uh, always one of my favorites. uh, And there was something scary about him, but specifically, and it ties it back to kiss. uh, The first time I ever saw kiss, I was terrified by them. They were uh, on a PBS show called Three Two One Contact, and they were doing a special on light and dark. And what better way than having the ultimate stage show with all the lights and our visual audience? You're going to see it, but you better believe I'm not going to put the audio on because uh, they're playing Kiss songs. So I I don't need that on my channel, Aaron. I don't need I don't need uh, strikes. I don't need Doc McGee sending me an email, you know, striking my YouTube channel, but. Uh, just looking back at it before I talked to you, because I kind of remembered seeing this as a kid and it's like, oh, it's interesting. But the guys in the makeup, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, especially, of course, by Gene Simmons. He breathes fire, you know. And uh, so I, w- I was probably like three or four when I saw this. So uh, it, it I didn't immediately think, oh, let's um, let's see if I can get my parents to buy this for me, you know. But uh, so. I know that uh, Kiss had a big impact on you. You just talked about Peter Chris. When was the first time you heard or, or saw them, or when did you become aware of Kiss, and and what kind of impact did that have? 
Well, this footage that you have up right now is of the Dynasty Tour in 1979. And that was the very first concert I ever went to. I was 10 years old. So Kiss was the very first live experience for me as a big concert. Uh, That tour right there that you're showing. Yeah. And uh, so I was I got into Kiss probably a couple years before that. So around 70, 77, 78. That's uh, that's the era that uh, Kiss fans refer to as Super Kiss. That's the height of their powers. It's before the solo albums. You know, it's before. Well, it's before the Elder. You know, it's before anything started. The, the crack started to show, right? So seventy-seven. That really is peak Kiss, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That that was actual the, like the terminology superhero time. You know. Yeah. The, the comic book and you know things like that. So uh, yeah, I mean, Kiss played. Uh, you know, I mean, I could speak for a million musicians right now. Kiss played such a huge part in my musical life growing up and wanting to be a musician um, and in music. I mean, I don't even know without Kiss how many people wouldn't have become musicians. <laughs> you know, They're, they yeah. were so influential at the time. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know they they have that impact, and it, there is the superhero. I mean, you talked about the comic books. I mean, you know, they had a press conference with Stan Lee of Marvel Comics, and it's like, and look, we're putting their blood in here, and it, you know, it's like the blood right, in the ink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, so the red the red ink in the comics is going to be mixed with uh, Kiss blood, and uh, you know, uh, obviously, everybody you know, uh, Stan fit right in with uh, with the, everybody in Kiss. I mean, it was Bill O'Coin at the time, but. Uh, you know, the idea of like, how do we sell this? I know, let's put uh, Kiss Blood in there. And, you know, to just uh, think about that time, obviously, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit younger, uh, but what you're talking about, sort of having them be your first concert, you know, I mentioned uh, Alice Cooper, and I oftentimes tell this uh, when I speak to musicians. So the first concert I ever went to was Alice Cooper, and it was in 1990, his trash tour. And the second concert I went to was Kiss, also 1990, the Hot in the Shade tour. So this is when they don't have the makeup, but it's actually the tour where they really kind of started leaning more on the 70s stuff, you know, and they like brought back like they started with I Stole Your Love and all that. So uh, and uh, then I think like two nights later, I saw Aerosmith on the Pump Tour. So like my first three concerts, I'm like, oh, this is what concerts are always like, right? They're huge, big shows and there's the explosions. And then, you know, then you, you, know, you go and see Whitesnake was my next concert after that. I'm like, oh, this is good, but. You know, it was not not on that level, you know, so I can imagine whatever your next concert after seeing Kiss on the Dynasty tour, you were probably like, this band is great, but um, where's the fireworks, you know? Yeah, yeah. But at that time, it seemed like a lot of the bands were leaning into the pyro and the, and the great point, you know, the technology <laughs> at the time to create to create a big, big extravaganza show, yeah. you know, so now but, how, you know, how hardcore and beats a Kiss show. Yeah, well, no, exactly. And I'm, I'm going to see them in about a month at the Hollywood Bowl. Allegedly, uh, that'll be the last time I ever see them. But um, I don't I don't know how much I believe uh, farewell tours in general, but specifically that one, you know. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to get to see the, the current iteration of the band. And that actually ties into what I was going to ask you. So obviously, you know, you're you're all in on Kiss. It's the first concert you go to. Now, is there a point where you maybe dishonorably discharge yourself from the Kiss Army, you know, during some of the lean times, maybe during the Elder? Or did you did you kind of stick around through the non-makeup era? They seem like a band that maybe some people kind of re- rediscover a little bit later. Or were you all in for the whole time? 
I was all in for the whole time, man. I mean, nice. all, all the way up to the 96 reunion that, that I attended. And, and then soon after that, I started to just see it for what it was, you know, being older and, and just, you know, uh, it, they had their, their inner workings in the way that they operated. And, yeah. um, you know, you start seeing, as you would say, the cracks and all these things <laughs> and whatever, yeah. but, um, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, I, but I just started discovering other music. It wasn't that right. I just chip. I just, I just had, uh, you know, got into, started getting into rush iron maiden, you know, and, and, uh, the, yeah. And, and obviously, metal, you, know? you know, those, those bands get, especially iron maiden had some representation on MTV, but they were never really like radio bands. You know, I mean, Rush have, of course, you know, a few big songs. But so how do you sort of make the transition from Kiss into like Iron Maiden? It's a little bit more intense. You know, I can see a Kiss fan sees an Iron Maiden album and goes like, oh, yeah, this is probably going to be for me. You know, you see the album cover with the, with Eddie. But uh, how do you, how does that happen? Does somebody uh, expose you to this music or do you just find it on your own? Well, I was lucky enough uh, at that time, you know, that um, I had MTV right when it came out. And oh, okay. they, wow. they, they showed uh, the same probably 30 videos every hour, you know, just they just kept looping the same videos. Yeah. And Iron Maiden was one of the videos. And I, I want to say it was Rothschild or it could have been Iron Maiden, the song Iron Maiden. And and I remember Eddie coming out on stage, a very primitive Eddie at the time, um, a guy wearing a mask, basically yeah. running around. <laughs> And, and, but I just, I was so intrigued by that and just the, the, the music itself. And, you know, at that time starting to lean into some bass and, and, you know, wanting to get into bass and, and Steve Harris just really blew my mind. So, um, you know, I just discovered it on my own on, on MTV. Yeah. I mean, and there was so much music, you know, uh, that you were able to, to really find that way. I mean, I remember my brother's five years older than me. So when we first had MTV as an option in my town, it was a pay channel. You had to pay extra for it. My brother had a job at Burger King and he like, he budget, he learned how to budget because he's like, I'm paying for MTV. So, you know, I got to see like Ozzy, the shot in the dark video, you know, all, all like that era of videos. I'm like, I never would have seen any of that stuff. And they did have those specialized shows. You know, they had shows like Headbangers Ball eventually and even 120 Minutes, which was, you know, a lot of like weirder alternative stuff. But, you know, there's stuff that I love that I, I probably would have found at some point in my life. But because of MTV and it's so weird to think about, I know it's a bit of a bit of a hack comment to make about MTV, but it's it's hard to think about their importance to the music world when they don't, you know, play music really in any way anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's really just not the same kind of a thing. So uh, you, uh, I, as, as we've talked about, you know, you get to be a part of Y&T. Is that another band that you discover for the first time on MTV? I mean, I know uh, summertime girls was obviously a, a big video for them. Is that where you first uh, heard and saw them? No, I actually discovered Y&T long before summertime girls. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, in I, there was a tower records in, in my town where I lived. Um, I was living in San Jose and Campbell is near San Jose and there was a tower records there. So, you know, being a kid flipping through records and I saw the black tiger cover and I thought, wow, this looks really cool. Turned it over. Guys look cool in the back. And I just bought the record, put it on and blew my mind. That's how I discovered Y&T. And then I went and saw them when I was 15 years old on my birthday, New Year's Eve. Um, nice. <laughs> at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, and it was Dio, 
YNT in the middle and Doc in opening. Wow. And when I saw when I saw YNT, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, but when I saw them play, they just blew everyone away. And and I was that I was all in at that moment. And it changed my life, really, because that then I just started learning a bunch of YNT songs on every instrument I could play. And all my neighborhood friends and that, you know, that that would uh, you know, if they knew how to play guitar, or, you know, we try to make these bands and things when we were kids and, and all we would play was like Y&T music, you know? So yeah, basically we, we cut our teeth on, on learning Y&T songs and that's how we learned how to play instruments. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's obviously, you know, one of the best ways to discover bands that doesn't really happen anymore because a lot of times you go see a band, there's like, you know, there's kind of like maybe two headliners or it's like, Oh, it's another established band opening you know like the the number of times that i i've seen tesla go on in, in a slot where they get like 30 minutes at 6 30 at night you're like well that's good for them but uh, i'd love to see them for an hour and a half which you know they like just did a great uh, vegas residency that i got mm -hmm. to see earlier this year but it doesn't really happen anymore but i'm thinking as you were talking about that i remember i i went with the, one of my best friends to that kiss show in 1990 and uh, Slaughter was one of the opening bands and he hadn't heard them before because, yeah, they were around. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, Kiss were good, but I, I have to go get that. Uh, it was a, yeah, I had to go get that tape. You know, he was just like he was blown away by them. And it's I honestly I couldn't tell you, Aaron, the last time that happened where, you know, band that I wasn't familiar of opened. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And, you know, and I, I would love that to happen again. It just doesn't seem to anymore. You know? Yeah. Well, I also think that being younger, you're more impressionable. It hits Great you point. in a different yeah. way, um, being a, an adult and especially, um, you know, having sometimes uh, when you, when I personally will watch a band, there's a lot going through my mind. You know, I'm, I'm looking at all kinds of like different technicality things, you know, and, and I'm really examining things. I'm not taking it in like I did when I was 15, you know, so. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, my, my wife's a, a, a television writer, she writes dramas and, you know, watching TV with her is a little different <laughs> than it used to be, you know, because it's like, yeah, yeah, it was good, but, you know, it's like, sometimes you can see the writing and I'm like, oh, I do know what you mean, you know, and, uh, yeah, sometimes you're watching, you know, technical aspects, I'm sure you're watching a band and you're like, oh man, the, the lighting guy clearly missed a cue there, you know, yeah, everybody yeah. else doesn't notice. Or, or the sound is just sucking in the room and you're like, yeah, the guy just fix it. Please fix it. You know, it'd, it'd be uh, so much better, but yeah. yeah, no, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than that too. I mean, it was like about 10 years ago. Uh, I saw the, I saw the Rolling Stones twice. They played at the, the, the Honda center in Anaheim where the ducks play. And they also played at what was still called the Staples center then. And the sound in Anaheim was great. And the sound of the Staples center was atrocious. So it was like, oh, I just saw a great show from them. And now I'm seeing one that it's like, they put on a good show, but it just didn't sound like it, you know, and it can really take you out of it. If the sound isn't, uh, isn't up to snuff, you know? Oh yeah. Well, it's everything, you know I mean? Yeah. But Again, going back to when you're younger, you don't, you're not examining things that hard. You're just in the in the moment, you know, the experience, and yeah. uh, just be in there, you know. It, yeah, it was a whole so different vibe, man. You know. Yeah, no, it it totally was. I mean, and you know, like the 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 Kiss, Aerosmith, and White Snake shows I'm talking about. Those were like the county fair near where I grew up, and it was like you know there were like six shows a year there, so it was like a big deal. And then 
getting to go into New York City to see shows was way harder and it was a much bigger deal, you know, but uh, oh, this is just down the street. My my older brother could drive me to that show, you know, that sort of a thing. So, yeah, it, uh, it definitely uh, changes, you know, but I was I was recently speaking to somebody who grew up in sort of a rural part of Ontario up in Canada, and he was just talking about like, you know, he didn't see concerts until he was in his 20s because nobody came there, you know, and uh, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, growing up in, in New York and I've lived in L.A. for 20 years, it's like I've at least had the option to see so much stuff. Um, I want to uh, before we talk about the solo music, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you're talking about you and your friends getting together, playing Y&T. And that just has to be surreal, like getting to be a part of the band. And you're like, oh, yeah, don't don't worry. I know these songs, you know, <laughs> like whenever whenever you actually like play for the guys for the first time, you're like, uh, yeah, no, I don't I don't need to go study up over the weekend. You want me to play them for you now? You know, that must have been must have been a really cool feeling. Aaron. Yeah. It, and, and I've said this so many times that uh, the first time that I did get in a room with the guys, um, it felt so natural to play these songs. They were so ingrained in me that, you know, I, yeah, sure. I listened to them a few times before I, I went and played, but um, everything was just there. I mean, I, all, every note I can, I can anticipate, you know, all the parts. I mean, I already knew the stuff. So um, I was lucky in that, in that sense, you know, I mean, ending up in a band, let's say that you got to learn their whole catalog and, 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 know their material and stuff i there's some bands i just don't but i like the bands i just you know i'm not that deep in it but with yt yeah. i was previously already way deep into it yeah i mean and that's probably why a lot of times you know uh you know in, in emergency situations where somebody's not able to perform bands a lot of times will have drum techs or guitar techs you know sit in because it's like well you know all the songs you know so it's like you know instead of like trying to find somebody you can learn them in a hurry uh, obviously, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in addition to your uh, work with YNT, though, uh, I know you have uh, a lot of uh, solo work that you do, and uh, we had uh, talked about that the the last time you were on. And uh, I want to talk to you about your latest song, Bahia Sunshine, which uh, people watching us will see in the background uh, the the video for it. It's a very you know, it's a lyric video, but you know, Aaron, there's a lot of lyric videos that are literally black screen with white words on it. This is a very cool, very trippy sort of like spacescape. Uh, talk since we're looking at the video right now, and then we'll talk about the song in a moment. Talk about the idea of making it something to actually look at instead of just words on a screen. Well, this was the first time that. I had put, you know, a, a lyric video out or any video, honestly, with my solo music, because I just started releasing solo music in 2020. So um, right. I knew that this song had something about it with the uh, the lyrics that I wanted it to be clear, you know, so that people can can really uh, listen and look. But I've seen lyric videos that are just boring and I just shut them off and I don't want to. Yeah. You know, I'd rather rather just pull the song up on on a Spotify or or something. Um, but you know, so I just I just I worked with a guy. Um, he helped me with some of the video, and then there's a lot of pieces in the video that I went back and I chopped up and I put my own, my own ideas in it, and uh, and this is the result. You know, so uh, I think lyric videos are cool. You know, especially when there's something to, to look at along with you know, uh, the, the words popping up, you know, kind of gives, um, a little, uh, 
some some fodder behind the words too is some imagery to conjure up other things in your mind you know that might kick something off and make you think about something you know so that's where it was just coming from with that yeah definitely and uh, you know it's interesting because you say that uh, the visuals kind of you know go along with the lyrics which obviously that's uh, kind of the goal for when you have a lyric video so uh talk a little bit about uh, you know, a little bit about your process in making this song, uh, you know, and reading the notes, getting ready to talk to you again today. Uh, you know, it talks a little bit about, you know, the sort of the way that you go into the studio. It's not like, oh, OK, I want to do this kind of song or I want, you know, to come up with something that reminds me of this. Right. You just kind of go in there and uh, with some ideas and you just kind of play around by yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, this particular song, Bahia Sunshine, I, I actually wrote it on an acoustic guitar. So oh, cool. it had a whole different feel going on when I was first writing the song. Very almost just folky, really. Uh, but once I started introducing the, the, the biggest hurdle for me with this particular song was finding what instruments that I wanted to use in the arrangement. I could have went down a number of paths, um, but I started to feel like the song wanted to go in this direction. You know, so I basically follow you know, my gut instinct on where I think the song wants to go on its own, what it, the way it's speaking to me, you know, um, once I started putting the, the synth, the synthesizers and things like that in there, I started thinking in terms of like a, a Bowie-ish, you know, Bowie kind of thing, um, the, the drum patterns and stuff, the drum beats and things, you know, kind of reminded me of like a T-Rex. So it had this kind of a 70s feel to it. And that, start, that started to really push me in that direction. You know? Yeah, and it's interesting, of course, when you talk about T-Rex, you know, here in the U.S., it's basically, you know, bang a gong. But uh, the, you know, the, I once saw a documentary about them, just how huge they were, especially like, yeah, I think throughout the rest of the world, but specifically in the UK, you know, I mean, I think they really called it, it was a T-Rex to see, like they were so, you know, they might as well have been the Beatles, you know, and it's just, it's, it's interesting, you know, I mean, yeah. Thin Lizzy is another one of those bands that, you know, it, obviously it's, it's an Irish band, but it's the same thing where it's like, you'd know them here for just a song or two. And, uh, but it's, they have such a great sound. And I, I think uh, when I, when I heard you say that, you know, sort of like there is a Bowie feel, there's a very seventies uh, kind of feel to the song. And uh, it seems like, you know, like I was saying before, you don't walk into the studio and think like, well, I want a seventies style song, you know, mm -hmm. just sort of, that's just where you were at. And uh, as you know, and were you just, you said you wrote it on an acoustic and was that just, you know, sitting down messing around and you know do, do you get the music first and is it hard to really take you know acoustic composition and then like make it bigger the way you're talking about or are you able to hear that as you go through it's like oh it needs to have this to it and and you know exactly where you want it to go as you as you are sort of tweaking the song yeah yeah it's a process man i mean it you know a lot of times I'll work on bits and pieces and then I'll just, I'll shut it down and I won't listen to it for two or three days and I'll come back and let it hit me in a whole fresh, like basically where I forget what I did and then I can yeah. hear it with a fresh perspective. And if it hits me right, I go, okay, let's just keep moving along. And then something else will, will you know, jump out at me like, all right, let's try this or let's put this in there and see how that rolls, you know? So it, it's just a process and, and I enjoy the process. And that's really the reason that I'm even 
you know, recording music and putting it out is right now I'm the most creative I've ever been in my whole life. Um, and just, you know, when the antenna is up, I've said this so many times, you know, if you've got the antenna up and you're receiving the message, you better get it and get it down quick because it's going to go away. You know, that stuff doesn't stick around too long. It's almost like seasons for me. I'll go through months of, of I won't even walk in the studio. I'll forget about it and do other things. And then all of a sudden I'll jump in for like, let's say Bahia Sunshine and start, you know, messing with it. And then it's like, that's all I do. And I'll be in there, you know, for couple months, you know, and, and just working it out until it, it finally starts to resolve itself, you know? Yeah. And, uh, as you're talking about, you know, walking away from the song for a few days and then going back to it, obviously sometimes it'll happen. You listen to something and you're like, Oh, okay. It wasn't quite as good as I thought, but if you go back and you listen and what you did was something that you, you know, you feel so good about something like Bahia sunshine, that has to be, uh, you know, just a, a great feeling of like, Oh man, this is even better than I thought it was. You know, I mean, not not trying to get you to pat yourself on the back, but the idea of like letting it sit and you know ferment as it were, and you're like, oh, this is great. I'm so glad that uh, you know I didn't uh, just blow off this idea. You know that uh, that has to be a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, I just start. It's it's like a trance. You know, I just fall into this, and I just just blinders on. I just go, and then. In the end process, it's it, yeah, it is a good feeling to uh, at least know that you finished it. You know, there's a lot of songs that never get finished. They just sit around as ideas or little bits, you know. Yeah, no. And then uh, and then sometimes uh, sometimes those ideas that uh, never get finished uh, get released many years later and uh, <laughs> sold, Very sold, sold to people on a you know, 10 CD set that uh, comes in a vault. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, oh, yeah. But, we can name uh, too many, can't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of that, honestly. Like, you know, I'm a huge yeah. Prince fan. And now that they're, you know, going through his vault and they're putting this stuff out, that's to me a, a bit subpar. It's, it, you know, there's a reason that it didn't see the light of day. Yeah. It should be yeah. No, that's a great point. It's funny because there's one thing uh, from the Prince vault that uh, I'm interested in because uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I had heard from somebody who had played on it. Uh, there's a, a not particularly well-known uh, soul asylum song called stand up and be strong. And Prince loved that song. So he mm -hmm. he recorded it in that sort of that time period in the early 2000s with like a whole band and everything. And I'm like, well, I'd really like to hear that. But it's a cover. I feel like, all right, that's all right. But yeah, the composition. I mean, somebody's a perfection. I I once interviewed somebody who had written a whole book uh, about Prince, which was fascinating. And uh, somebody that he knew was talking about how he had the most beautiful song and he played it for them. And then after she heard it, he said, yeah, I'm going to erase it now. Uh, and she's like, no, 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 you can't. He's like, no, I have to, you know, because it's, uh, you know, just for whatever reason, he didn't want people to hear it. It was like too personal or something. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's one thing when somebody, you know, puts stuff out as maybe a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a cash grab or, you know, when it's like, oh, this is an early version, you know, a good example is Kiss. So there's like a demo of God of Thunder where Paul Stanley sings. They're not trying to pass it off as like something amazing. But if you're a huge fan, I'd kind of, I was interested in hearing that. I thought it sounded kind of cool. Obviously, Gene Simmons usually sings it. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, what you're talking about with Prince. Yeah, that's that's also like, you know, the the, the family's like, well, we have this uh, this vault and uh, I believe they couldn't get into it for a little while, which should tell them everything they need to know. Prince didn't want you to get into that vault, you know? 
Yeah, there's a reason that that stuff was locked up. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly. There's a, you know, uh, you know, if Prince wanted stuff out there, it uh, it would have been out there. Uh, in terms of uh, putting out your own stuff, though, uh, what uh, are are you uh, working on stuff, or do you do you have stuff ready to go? You're just uh, working on Behead Sunshine for a while. Are there plans for other new solo music uh, in the months ahead, or maybe next year? Yeah, I actually, I'm. Uh in the process of uh recording i'm i'm to the vocal stage right now i gotta finish some lyrics and then i'm gonna uh start tracking some vocals on a new song called keep my dreams alive and nice. that's gonna be my next single and then with that i'm gonna be planning on putting out either another ep or it could be a full length uh the first part of the year 24. um and I'll definitely try to do a vinyl run, you know, CDs. And you can get that at AaronLee.com along with uh, a bunch of other stuff on there. Everything's there. So, um, but yeah, there's plans for a new single by the end of the year. Right. And uh, yeah, the last time I talked to you, you'd put out an EP that had some originals and some covers. So that's great that uh, you're always working on stuff. And the last time that I talked to you, it seemed like you were uh, playing a lot of like acoustic shows sort of uh, locally. Is that uh, something you still find the time to do? You know, it's a, it's almost like, you know, you just show up somewhere with a guitar. You, maybe, maybe they haven't even booked you and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to play, you know? <laughs> well, no, it's a, it's a little more structured than that. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm constantly out playing solo acoustic shows around, uh, my hood here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I always, uh, you know, Y and T always seems to have a lot of stuff out there. I know there's uh, I saw a monsters of rock cruise for next year, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that's always one of those things that sounds like so much fun, uh, as a, as a fan of so many of the bag, I'll see some of the bands on there. And, you know, a lot of times they're bands that don't tour that much or they don't play the U S very often. And I'm just like, there's no way that I can convince my wife that I, that, that kind of, that, that that's a great way to not just spend the money, but, uh, Hey, can I be gone for a week and, uh, you can take care of the kids. Uh, I'm going to go on a cruise with a, with a bunch of metalheads. Uh, so, so far that, uh, hasn't happened, but I can imagine it could be fun because you'll probably run into a ton of people, you know, from other bands and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's cool. It's, it's something you should try at least once, you know, uh, yeah. it, it could be fun. I know we have to we have to find the you know we have to find the right cruise where my wife would want to go or it's like all right she can go on the Taylor Swift cruise and then a few weeks later I'll go on the Monsters of Rock cruise and then yeah it seems like everyone's got a cruise these days uh yeah absolutely uh so anyway Aaron uh great to talk to you again this time and uh it was it was much more relaxing for me you were great both times but uh there was uh you know the the glitches the last time I was reliving them earlier like I told you but uh, always great to talk to you I love the song looking forward to uh hearing more uh Aaron Lee leigh.com that's where they can find uh anything uh anything and everything uh do you have any uh, social media or is it just uh, hit the website and that's where people can find you yeah, all the socials are on the website. You can Great. hit hit all those links there if you're interested. Yeah. All right, it. perfect. And uh, our audio audience will uh, get to hear some of uh, Bahia Sunshine on the way out, but not any of Kiss on 321 Contact. I'm, I'm still not going to go sneak Kiss music into, you know, again, just, just looking to stay out of court. That's all I'm saying, Aaron. Uh, anyway, Aaron Lee, 
Thanks again. And our, our audio audience, this is Bahia Sunshine. It's the And I'm talking to the guys of Wings of Steel, talking to Leo, and also talking to Parker. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join me today, guys. Appreciate it. Our pleasure being here, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to just sort of, uh, you know, reading through the notes about the band. Uh, you guys only met a few years ago uh, here in Los Angeles. So uh, whichever one of you wants to start. Uh, let's uh, start there, how the two of you meet and uh, how Wings of Steel kind of blossoms, I guess, after you guys meet. Um, I mean, it was pretty, uh, I think all things considered, it was pretty pretty straight to the point. I mean, um, both both me and Leo were going to this music school out here. And, uh, you know, we kind of went there under the impression that we would go there and we would meet a bunch of different uh different people who are into the same kind of style of music and we could go and, and start a band and all that. But, um, you know, we, it, the, the, the labor pool, as we could put it, was a, was a little bit more scarce than we had anticipated. So it was really me and Leo, we were like the only two rocker guys, uh, cruising around there. So inevitably we crossed paths and we started talking I'm like hey man you know you like white snake you like blue murder he's like yeah and i'm like cool you're the first <laughs> person i met who knows who those bands are let's start a band he's like yeah and, and the rest cool. is history i think the yeah. time was kind of sweet too because i moved out from um from sweden to attend that college in la and uh parker graduated high school early so it kind of just starts a line you know yeah, well, I mean, graduating high school at all, I don't know how rock and roll that is, but uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll overlook it. This uh, is one smart point. guy, man. He's going to change <laughs> the whole appeal of rock and roll. The the funny thing is, obviously, if you know, you it's almost like you guys were just a, a few decades too late. You know, uh, three four decades ago, everybody knew White Snake, and you you would have like you, know, you guys would have had you know hundreds of people to pick from. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I guess when you go to some of those, you know, if it's a music school. People are there for all kinds of music. You know, you probably have like classically trained people. And then also it's almost like they don't even want to let you get to the good stuff right away. Like, you know, I, I as much as I appreciate music, I never was uh, musically inclined, but uh, I went to school for communications. I wanted to work in radio and television. And essentially I, I do that. But uh, I mean, you don't you don't even set foot in a in a, even a pretend TV studio for like the first two years. You know, it's like the good stuff's all down the road. You know, it's like, let's let's get your money for a couple years. Let's make you take a bunch of classes and then maybe uh, you get to do the fun stuff. Uh, so you guys meet, you realize you uh, like the same kind of music. And um, before we get into the the wings, the, the wings of steel of it, my apologies. Uh, Leo, you moved here from Sweden. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about that. And uh, what, what uh, I mean, what brought you to L.A.? Was it just the idea of like, well, there, there's clearly got to be some kind of uh, rock scene there? And uh, what, 
what music were you into? We, we mentioned Whitesnake, but uh, what had reached you in Sweden? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched upon it. Honestly, you mentioned that uh, we're, we're kind of late to the party, right? And it kind of felt like that growing up, too, uh, around here, because, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends who were into the same music as I was. So I was kind of partying on my own, <laughs> you know, in my own way. <laughs> listening to the music that I like to listen to. And uh, and it wasn't until I met Parker that you can actually kind of start enjoying that together. And obviously it's not heavy metal until you come together, right? Uh, but um, yeah, so I um, I grew up on a lot of uh, a lot of early blues, actually, a lot of 70s rock. Uh, so I'm kind of from that school originally. And then during my, my teen years, um, I really got into the, the blues side of the 80s kind of uh, rock era, you know, Grey White and those types of bands. Sure. Um, yeah, and then I kind of recircled to um, to bands such as Judas Priest again. You know, initially I, I was more on the like um, the early '70s side of things, and then I kind of grew more towards the the '90s Priest and stuff like that. And it's kind of gone back and forth like this. You know, you, you never lose touch with what you love. And I know that uh, me and Parker, we we've gotten a lot of inspiration from each other from what we listen to, and we discovered a lot of things together. Actually, some of the coolest music that we've discovered has happen when we met on the same soil in the same car cruising down the fucking pch <laughs> yeah no i mean there's uh there's there's definitely something about uh you know road trip music uh when when i get a new album from a, a band that i love uh i i always try to figure out like you know i don't want to be sitting in traffic but i would love a you know I, li I live in the valley so a drive up the pch is a little harder to come by but uh the yeah. idea of like i want to like how long is this album great i want to you know i i, I want to like you know drive an hour and 15 and listen to the new metallica you know i want to actually hear all of it in the order but uh i i definitely you know a great a great album is perfect uh, in the car parker uh what uh, what brings you to la and uh where did you uh, head to la from originally well I'm, i actually grew up out here i think i'm i'm one of the few musicians <laughs> i know out here who's actually from LA. yeah but, yeah, um, I mean, it's a yeah, it's a lot of times like if people are from Southern California, you don't meet that many that grew up like in the actual L.A. area, you know, it's, yes, it's but I mean, I, I sort of I actually so I live currently I live in Thousand Oaks, which you sure know, it's just it's not technically L.A., but I mean, it's. Right outside. Look, you could you, you could get to the Hollywood Bowl anywhere between forty minutes and two hours, just depending on when you drive. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, and talking about a good good drive to listen to an album, pretty much anytime yeah. I have to go down there, I, I get through a whole album. That's so a great cool. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up here in uh, in Thousand Oaks, and um, I mean, yeah, it was you know similar to Leo, like um, you know, no, I mean, my the music interest of my generation is not a you know. It, it doesn't really gel with me, but, um, uh, I didn't really like my parents weren't, aren't really that like, uh, they didn't have like a big music collection or anything like that. But, you know, because we grew up in the, the day and age of the internet, like this stuff was kind of available. So I remember, I think I was like, it was like eight years old. I discovered, uh, I discovered the song separate ways by journey. And then I was sure. like, Whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> that opened up a wormhole. And then I think by the, I think it was like nine or 10 when I discovered Metallica and I just like, okay. And so like between those two things and then it just all like, it all just kind of uh, snowballed from there. 
Well, yeah, that's a uh, that's good to be that open minded. I was about nine when my brother came home with. Uh, he's five years older than me. He came home with Master of Puppets, which at that point I believe was the new Metallica album, and I was like. Mm -mm. nope that's not for me <laughs> you know eventually you come around but uh you know i uh you know i i uh i was i guess i was a little bit of a late bloomer i was talking to uh to somebody just the other day that uh, the first time i saw kiss on television was when they still had the makeup on and i was terrified you know so but it kind of has a you know there's something about being scared you know that actually can uh, work in your favor but uh yeah and uh it's funny because I talk to a lot of musicians about how they grow up around music. And, uh, you know, my, my dad had a really extensive record collection. Uh, he got married in 1974. So his record collection goes right up to like 1973. And, uh, so it was like, you know, all the, the, the first bunch of stole stones albums and, you know, all the, the doors albums and, you know, Beatles, all that. So it was like, I was, you know, this is the day and age where I listened to everything on tape. So I was like taping these records so that I could listen to them. Uh, but when I was really little around the house, my mom had uh, two eight tracks that she played all the time. They were uh, Barry Manilow and John Denver. So, uh, you know, really I get my musical appreciation from my dad is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, you'll talk to a, a lot of people who, you know, doesn't, you know, I mean, I'm 47. You guys are lucky enough to be younger than that. <laughs> but, you know, when you hear great music, you talked about separate ways, you know, by journey. It's like, you know, if if you hear that and you go and like after a minute, you're like, I got to turn this off. This isn't for me. It's like, all right, that's probably not somebody that personally any of us are, are going to really have a lot in common with. You know, it's a, that guy's voice is giving me a headache. You know, it's, why is he singing so high? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, but it's cool. And that, you know, you guys sort of bond over that. So when do you start playing together? I mean, even before, you know, you put the name Wings of Steel on it, you know, you guys get to know each other. You like some of the same music uh, and uh leo you're the the vocalist and parker you play the guitar so uh how long between you guys meeting uh are, are you just like hanging out and uh, playing around uh listening to music and you know actually playing it well we met in 2019 and okay. uh our debut came out in march 2022 and we probably started recording that one uh probably about like what seven months before or something like that six months before well well yeah i mean the the actual here's here's the thing from the from the time we we met yeah i mean we were we were coming up with ideas and putting out demos and stuff and then uh covid rolls around and we're stuck inside um so we're like great let's just write even more music so we we just wrote a lot a lot of stuff and the ep is basically like uh it's kind of like our best of of that period <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true, say, yeah. I mean, here's the, you know, there's other tracks on there and like, you know, we may or may not release them in the future, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, pretty, pretty much as, uh, as soon, as soon as we met, like, you know, we were, we were bouncing ideas and putting stuff together and then it really, it really kicked into full gear when we, I mean, we both finished the school too. So the school's done and, you know, we're stuck inside. So it was a perfect, uh, 
perfect storm to write a shitload of music. <laughs> you know, Leo, you're right. Obviously, he is smart. He's graduated from two schools, so uh, that's already that's already a leg up from a lot of guys on rock and roll. You know, so, uh, but so yeah, I mean, I you know, look, I talked to a lot of musicians uh, during covid and then even after and it i think the thing that it, it, it let you know from varying degrees of artists who've been around a long time people just starting out it really gave them a chance to put out material that is you know had a lot more time to kind of i don't know sit there and ferment it wasn't like okay i gotta get these songs out because you know then we gotta try and get back out on the road and we have to do all this it's like well i'm home anyway and you know there 20 of these songs are really good but what if what if I make 10 of them great, you know, and uh, really take the time? So, uh, yeah. And, it, uh, you know, that that stretch in like mid 2021, when all of a sudden, like all of your favorite bands were finally putting out new albums and uh, new albums were coming out. And it was well, I had to spend a lot of time driving around in the car to listen to all of it. You know? <laughs> and it was um, it was cool, too, because um, so I, I lived in Hollywood when I moved out there. Parker was still out in Thousand Oaks at that point. And he, uh, he ended up moving in with me and my other friend who I was living with at a time. So I think also the amount of time you spend together will also affect how you write music and how the music comes out on the other side of things. Because, you know, usually the relationship of the band will in some way, shape or form reflect what comes out on the other side. Um, so the fact that we got to spend a lot of time together, especially during COVID too, um, I think really affected the way that we, um, that we wrote music and, uh, the fact that we, we, we get along so well as friends as well. I think it has a huge impact. Well, and the fact that, uh, you know, you're even during that time you were able to get together because, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to musicians who were like, all right, well, I, I said, you know, here's you know, 20 files of drum tracks and we're going to put that in a Dropbox and then we're going to put the bass tracks in the, you know, and, you know, I think that technically some of that music turned out good, but a lot of those musicians listened to it and I was like, Hey, we kind of have to play all this stuff over again. You know, we have to get into a room together. Cause it just, it was kind of missing that. I don't know that, that that spirit, that just that energy you get when you're actually in a room together, you know? And uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I think that that probably goes a long way of you guys getting to play together. Um, Leo listening to a few tracks and uh, obviously the latest album uh, is uh, gates of twilight. We'll talk about the single that is out uh, leather and lace. We'll talk about that in a moment. <clears throat> but um, I, you know, listening to that song and some of the other songs, I, uh, I, I, what I was impressed by Leo is that there's there's not just like range in your voice. It's like it's like really low. Almost, I was thinking it reminded me of uh, Pete Steele from Typo Negative. But then it's like also like Jeff Tate from Queensrÿche. Sometimes in the same song, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, look, singers do that. It's like, well, I got the low part and I got the high. But it's like, oh. What if I go as low as possible and as high as possible? Is that just a, you know, the product of, hey, I liked a lot of different bands and some of them sang like this, some of them sang like that. Let me see what I can do. I mean, basically, man, we're we're painters, you know, and yeah. we have all these colors to paint with. So why restrict yourself to black and white only? You know, um, I feel like we 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 do a pretty good job coloring the landscape musically, instrumentally, you know, and the vocal is yet another instrument to throw some color on there. So why not use the, the full spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Parker, oh, go ahead. I'll just add to that. I'll add to that point really quick. I mean, that, that's a really good way of putting it. It's basically like, we just, we just like a bunch of stuff and it all, it all kind of comes out into the music. And 
I think it's um, you know, it's interesting if you look at any like the comments section on like a YouTube video or, or, or music video or something like, you know, we get we go through this and we see, oh, you know, Queens Priest, White Snake, Great yeah. White, uh, like all these awesome bands and like you know the thing is like it's not just one of them like there's like little bits and pieces of all that stuff and like i think that's that's just kind of our our style we didn't really want to we didn't really want to like stick to just one okay we're just going to sound like this band and be in this style like no we just we just write the music we write you know yeah and i mean i think that's uh you know that that's a a great approach i mean look you know a newer band like greta van fleet has had tremendous success but there is that knock on them that it's like oh yeah but they sound like led zeppelin and you know as they've gone on there's the sounds a little different but they start and you're like okay so this that's really what it is and if you can sort of early on be like, well, yeah, we have a lot of different influences and you can sort of, I don't know, synthesize it in a way where it, it just contributes to the sound. Uh, I think that's great. And Parker, I wanted to ask you a sort of a similar question, uh, you know, taking in all the stuff that you liked, were there guitarists or was there even one where you're like, that was the, you heard somebody or maybe you saw them live and you're like, well, now I need a guitar like today, or uh, was it more of a general, like that, that's what you wanted to do? Or was there one or two guitars that you, whether you saw them on TV or perform live or something? You know, it's, um, I, I think like personally, when I, 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 I think the first thing that always got me was just like the energy and the music. That was the, I think that was like the, the main gravitational pull. And then just, I mean, when I was actually, before I tried to play guitar, I actually tried to learn how to play piano. But I just hated the I hated the structure and the the discipline and and getting that all dialed in. Um, so the, yeah, the guitar, and, and, and how many times can you play "Home Sweet Home" and "Dream On"? You know, eventually you want to play other songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so I think you know my uh, uh, my heart sings through the six strings, but um, <laughs> nice. but yeah, I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't necessarily a thing. Like I didn't, it wasn't like I saw one guy and then those sure, yeah. It was really the music, but I mean, I do have, I do have a lot of guitar players that I really like, you know, like John Sykes is awesome. John Norm from Europe is awesome. Uh, George Lynch, uh, Michael Shanker, um, Willie John Roth. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, it's kind of like the music. There's a bunch of guys that take a lot of stuff from a lot of different places, but. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, of, of those guys, uh, George Lynch, I actually spoke to last week cause he's uh, got a new Lynch mob album coming out and uh i mean that's a guy who like as i'm putting together notes for him i'm like i mean he never really slowed down you know it's like lynch mob has like 10 different lineups over all the years he doesn't even know everybody who's in it you know Dokken comes and goes and uh he has this band end machine that he does and i was just like it's like exhausting to keep up with that guy and it's like he could slow down but uh he just doesn't and uh you know it's a, it's a nice guy to chat with but also it's like it's just so impressive and uh yeah i mean the, the the list that you gave that's uh, obviously just you know some of the best and you know john sykes is one of those guys who you know he does that uh that 87 white snake record and obviously there's other there's plenty of other stuff that he did but i mean he he didn't tour with it he's not in the videos so it's like you know people who are really into some of these bands of course they know john sykes but uh even when that out you know when there were those like four videos on mtv like you know all throughout the day you know people didn't necessarily give john sykes the appreciation but he's kind of like off the radar now which is you know which seems too bad because uh you feel like I mean, he's not that old he had a he had a lot of stuff in him 
Um, but uh, so what I want to talk about now is uh, the the current album. And I was double checking in the notes is uh, it, so Wings of Steel was the debut EP. Gates of Twilight is the new album. Is it available now? I uh, I've seen links to it. Is it pre-order or is it just out there now? Yeah, it's it's okay. out. We, we dropped it on the May nineteenth of this. Okay, year. all right. So that's probably why I assume because it didn't give me a release date. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes, yes, May nineteenth, and it's all 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 major streaming platforms: Spotify, Apple, YouTube. The list right. goes on, and it's available from on CD format from our website wingsofsteelband.com. Yes, wingsofsteelband.com is uh, that'll take you to the YouTube pages and all of that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I, uh, I, I, have, I have two young kids. So when I listen to music, uh, sometimes it's I get to listen with like one earbud in while I'm like doing the dishes at night or something. But I do like to take those road trips. And yeah, I can just throw my, my phone on. But I do still like getting uh, CDs because I like to kind of, you know, read through the, the, the booklets, the liner notes, anything that comes with it. But uh, obviously, you know, vinyl, I, I, I understand the appreciation. It just doesn't it just doesn't suit my lifestyle right now to, you know, set up a nice big turntable. And uh, there's a lot of jumping and shaking in my house. So I, I think uh, that, that I definitely prefer the CD. So that's uh, that's great to know that uh, that's there. Let's talk about uh, the song that uh, is out there now. Uh, Leather and Lace is the name of the song. And uh, there's a. There's a video for it, which uh, I will uh, show our, our our YouTube audience and our audio audience will get to uh, hear it uh, a little bit of it on on our way out. But let, let's talk a little bit about leather and lace, please. Whichever one of you wants to jump in. Oh, sorry. I thought, I thought it was a video or something coming. No, the video is going to come up, but you guys can talk over it. Yeah, yeah. great. So yeah. Leather and Lace, it's a, um, it's, a, it's a fun song. You know, we uh, when we wrote Gates of Twilight, the album, uh, I flew out from Sweden. I had uh, I had pretty much 10 weeks because of the visa situation, right? I'm out there on a, uh, uh, a tourist visa, uh, so I can't extend my, my stay or stay too long. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so we had 10 weeks to write that album, and we knocked out 10 songs during that time. And this song was the fastest one of all of them. I think we did it in, um, in two days, it was said and done for, and for, and for reference, just the way that me and Leo generally work. It generally, yeah. I think on average, a song takes about seven to 10 days. Like, okay. just wow. given, given like the, you know, we sit down, we write it and then we record stuff and we do the lyrics and the, you know, just getting everything in there. But, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this song, you know, it's kind of, it's got that kind of eighties, hard rock kind of bluesy thing going and it's, it's one of those songs i personally i always wanted to write one of those songs and always wanted to have one of those songs out and um yeah i mean part we got together on that riff and we just knocked it out from there and we got to do a fun music video for it as well yeah i mean i will um you know i will say uh, related to this song is that i think um i think it's easy to to uh, you know, we're talking about like the style of the band and everything. Like, um, there's uh, there's many. Um, I guess we could say there's there's many faces to the same uh, to the same band. And this is um, if you listen throughout the rest of the album, 
the rest of the album doesn't just sound like this song. Like this is just one thing, but I think every every other song on the full album has like its own uh, its own stylistic place that it uh, that it occupies. And it's still it's still all us. It's still you know it's still Wings of Steel. But um, but yeah. So this is a cool you know we got to be you know flashy and do something a little more bluesy and a little more like kind of eighties uh, era stuff. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, we, we start off the conversation. You guys mentioned White Snake and uh, Great White came up. I mean, when you would listen to those albums, especially like in the heyday of both of those bands, uh, the the songs didn't really all sound the same. You know, there were your there were your radio songs, of course. You know, you had to you know you had to sell records, <laughs> but uh, and and you know, I mean, I'm thinking in in very in very different sounds, but both Great White and, and White Snake, there were some just really bluesy stuff. So it's cool to have like the rockers. I mean, uh, I I would say that uh, Leather and Lace is definitely <clears throat> it has that feel. Not like it's a you know it's a song that feels dated, but it has that kind of energy. It's an up song. You could you could definitely have imagined you know it uh, being in the rotation on like you know Headbangers Ball back in the day. If if you guys had if you guys had only been you know thirty five years older like me or whatever you know. <laughs> but the uh, yeah. so that song's out there. You have the video, and I know that there's a number of videos on the YouTube channel uh, from uh, from both of your releases. And uh, I, I saw on the YouTube channel, you guys had a big show uh, here in L.A. not that long ago at the Whiskey. Uh, are you, uh, for the most part, playing uh, local or do you have uh, stuff scheduled uh, around the country, maybe around the world? What's, uh, what's in the cards in the future for uh, Wings of Steel? So actually, Leo, on, on your uh, last thing, Leo kind of touched upon this. Um, you know, he's only... After he finished his school, his student visa ran up, and so he basically had to go back. So the oh, way we do things now is um, because we can't uh, we can't afford to get a full artist visa. Um, we basically he'll come here for ninety days. We'll do that's about as or less than ninety days. That's about as long as you can be here on a tourist visa. So he'll come here, and then we'll um, you know we'll do we'll write and record our music, and then you know do whatever stuff we need to do, and then um you know the rest of the year we just kind of run things uh remotely but um but yeah so in the in the history of wings of steel we've actually done only three live shows to date and they've all won the first one was at the whiskey the second one was at the vibe room and our most recent one was at the whiskey um so uh so it's a basically the uh, entire live history of the band is in like a like a two block radius of sunset boulevard (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's great um yeah but uh but anyway so in terms of our future plans though next year our uh our big endeavor that we're looking at is we're actually um uh we're putting together a european tour we got booked on some uh, a few few pretty cool metal festivals out there and um and I mean, when we look at our, you know, when we look at our audience and who's, you know, following us and dropping comments and all that stuff, like we have a, a, a sizable uh, portion of our audiences out there in Europe. So um, that'll be really exciting. And then, no, I can't guarantee anything because we don't have anything set in stone yet, but we are very much trying to get out and tour the uh, the Midwest and the East Coast here in the U.S. as well later in uh, 2024. Um, right. Or, or at least get as far as Glendale, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was looking at uh, as you as you were talking, I was looking at your uh, Instagram and uh, this is uh, I guess this is a German festival that'll uh, happen in uh, in in 2024. Uh, I guess that's in, in May. See, look, look how smart I am. I'm able to uh, read dates backwards or, you know, the other way that they do them in Europe. And uh, that's, uh, that's pretty great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously these are like hard rock and metal bands where you can actually read the names of the bands and the logo. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a death metal festival. So it seems like you guys will be a good fit there, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, my uh, I I know the comedian uh, Don Jameson pretty well, and uh, one of the shows he does, he he used to, he did uh, that metal show on uh, VH1 for a while. But uh, the internet show they do, they they have a running bit where they try to figure out the name of the death metal band from their logo, and it's usually very hard to uh, ascertain. But you guys have a great logo; it's it's easy to read. Uh, and uh, as we start to wind down, uh, it, you know, I know there's also a song called Wings of Steel. So does the name of the band come from that? What's the chicken or the egg uh, on that, Parker? Do you have the band name first or does the song come up and you go like, this is such a good song? You know, it's like how Bad Company have the song Bad Company on the album Bad Company, you know, and it's like, all right, well, the, this this is our bad company. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the um, so, you know, back going backwards in our timeline, um, you know, from COVID onward, we're writing all this music and I mean, we spent so much time and so much strain trying to find a band name and we just couldn't figure it out because everything was taken or it was like a, a like a four word thing. And I'm like, I don't want to join that club. You know, we wanted to find, <laughs> we wanted to find uh, we wanted to find something that was like short, but it, it summed up the music well. But I don't know. You know, we, we beat our head against that wall for like o literally over a year and we just we still couldn't find it. So we're like, whatever. Let's just keep, you know, we'll keep writing music and doing our thing. And so, yeah, I think, I think we wrote, we wrote the song itself. I believe it was February of 2021. I think that's when we wrote the the song and we actually, so, you know, we write the song, we're like, cool. And then Leo, he goes and uh, he writes the lyrics. And um, initially uh, if you, and if you go and you look at the lyrics, you'll see a recurring lyrical theme in there is the word shoot to thrill. But I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's an ACDC song. So I'm looking through the lyrics. And I'm like, maybe, maybe we should call it Wings of Steel. And we're like, okay, cool. You know, and then I, some, I think it was like, you know, maybe later that day or a couple days later, you know, we're going for a walk. And I think Leo goes to me, you know, yeah, you know, that's, a, that'd be, that could be a pretty cool band name. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, you know what? I think maybe. And then like a week later, I was like, yep, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's good. You gave you gave it some time. You sat on it, and yeah, I think if if you had named your band "Shoot to Thrill," uh, people would just assume you're an ACDC tribute band. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it, it, by the way, it's a great name for an ACDC tribute band. I bet there is one. You know, that's uh, you know if 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 you were to uh, look it up. Uh, well, I I think it's uh it, it's interesting. You know, just sort of the way you guys come together, and then uh, you know immigration laws kind of dictating the way the collaboration works but uh leo i'm glad you're able to get back for you yeah, know three months you're always there rolling those dice with tsa man but it's what it is <laughs> right yeah exactly never never uh never plan to uh fly out the day before a show leo you know give give yeah. yourself a few days just in case 
These, um, uh, these uh, 90 days beach vacations, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but, uh, well, it was uh, great chatting with you guys. And as I said before we started, I appreciated you uh, being flexible with uh, changing the time a little bit. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes, sometimes life gets in the way, but uh, it was great chatting with you guys. I love what I've heard of the music. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you guys are uh, playing again in, in LA, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to keep my radar up and, uh, uh but I, I don't think I'm going to make it to that metal festival in Germany, but you know what? I bet it would be a great weekend if I did, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So uh, maybe I'll start talking to my wife about that. You know, it's, uh, it's good, like, good excuse to go on a European vacation. Yeah, know? right. Exactly. It's like, well, if I can't go on the kiss cruise, can I, can I go to a metal festival? Can I go, can I go see wings of steel at this tiny ass metal fest in, in Bavaria? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Come on. We'll, we'll, we'll take the, we'll take, we'll take the kids to the site. Yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, Leo Parker, uh, wings of steel, and uh, you said that the uh, the website is wingsofsteelband.com. Is that correct? I want to make sure I get it right. Yes, yes. And you can find everything from there, all the social media. Uh, look for you guys on, on YouTube. There isn't just the uh, video that we played the snippet of. Uh, you can find all of it there. Uh, thanks again to uh, Leo and Parker. And uh, as... As I mentioned a moment ago, our audio audience is going to hear uh, Leather and Lace a little bit uh, on the way. Gene Potts of Colossal Street Jam. They have a great new song called No Way to Live. And uh, we'll talk about that and everything going on with his band, Colossal Street Jam. Gene, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, I appreciate you having me on the show. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's uh, start off. Uh, you you have a name like Colossal Street Jam right away. It just it sounds like, you know, you put that up on a marquee. It's like, I kind of want to check out a Colossal Street Jam. Uh, <laughs> how how would you describe Colossal Street Jam? It's exactly what it is, uh, what it sounds like. Um, when we first got together, we're all influenced by so many different things, but mostly 70s classic rock, um, but all different genres of it. So um, we got together. And we just started playing together and it just turned into this mashup of different genres, but 
that seventies influence straight through it. So yeah, that's where the, the name came from. And, and, um, our good friend, John DiMaggio, who's the voice of Bender on Futurama. He's yeah, sure. actually, he actually came up with the band name. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's great. <laughs> that's yeah. He saw us at practice one night and said, you guys are like one big colossal street jam. And then we're like, right. Oh man, that's a good name. So, I love the idea that your band was named by Bender from Futurama. I know it's great, right? <laughs> you know, you 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 never know what you're going to get when you uh, chat with someone, and uh, I did not have that on my bingo card, Gene. So yeah, uh, well, we haven't really put that out there too much. Like I said, Johnny's a friend, so oh in yeah. Some, in some interviews, I put it out there, but uh, yeah, he's always been a big supporter of ours, and uh, we've been friends with Johnny for 35 years. Oh, well, that's uh, that's great to hear. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about how the, the band kind of gets together. You're talking about the 70s uh, influence. And in the song we're talking about, which our audio audience will uh, get to hear that song on the way out after our conversation. But No Way to Live, the first thing I thought as the song starts is uh, like, oh, that's like a, you know, Ted Nugent stranglehold kind of uh, opening. Not that it sounds exactly like it, but you know what I mean? It has that uh, kind of like feel to it. So uh, yeah, the seventies is definitely all over this. Yeah. We're huge grand funk railroad fans and deep purple and bad company. And so, you know, those type of um, influences show in a lot of the music that we have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you're saying that uh, obviously the band's been around that long. If uh, so, you're in the uh, Asbury Park area, from what I understand from the uh, the notes, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I live about eight miles from Asbury Park right now. Well, I've uh, yeah, I've got a, a really good friend who's lived all over that part of New Jersey, and uh, that's why for our visual audience, you'll see that our little backdrop is the Stone Pony. I usually use the Whiskey a Go Go, but when I read that in your notes, I was like, you know what? Let me find a, a nice stock photo uh, to uh, keep it local. Uh, talk about the the music scene there. Obviously. Asbury Park music, people are immediately going to think about Springsteen and the E Street Band, obviously Southside Johnny, uh, but uh, just, you know, sort of growing or not even growing up, but the band sort of forming around there. What are uh, some of the music that you're exposed to by being in that area that, uh, you know, it sort of makes for a unique feel for what's happening there? Yeah, you get the, you know, the comparisons of Springsteen and Southside Johnny once people think of Asbury Park or the Stone Pony. But there is such an eclectic music scene here. Everything from metal bands right down to country bands. And, um, you know, it's a little Nashville here or a little Austin. Um, it's, a, it's a small area, but there's a lot of venues and uh, there's a lot of musicians in this area. There's a lot of good bands, a lot of really good bands. And we've been in the scene for quite a while. We were the house band at the Stone Pony for a year and a half on Sunday nights when I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was the beginning of what Colossal Street Jam was. Me, Sal, and Tony, the original members, um, we had a, a different drummer, different keyboard player, and um, we would go and just play covers. And um, it was great. The Pony's a great place to play. Um, it's grown so much over the years. It used to be just a venue where you could put 800, 900 people in there. Now they have a summer stage where they have 5,000 people outside and you get some really big acts. We played with the Black Crows there last year. So, um, oh, that yeah, must have been great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a great, great venue. And um, there's so many venues around that area that are really cool. Yeah, one of uh, one, you know, again, I had a, a really good friend who's lived down in that part of New Jersey forever. I've lived in L.A. for 20 years. But, uh, you know, when I visit with him, uh, I remember uh, just a, a phenomenal venue that I understand is closed. There's a place called Trade Winds down there, down near the shore. Right. 
Yeah, that's in Seabright. That was in Seabright, New Jersey. Right. No, that's lived. in Seabright, but I remember that was one of those things where it was just like it, it, it was very casual. I think you know, we were probably seeing like Soul Asylum or something. And just yeah. way off on the side is John Bon Jovi. And then you figure like everybody sees him so much, nobody was bothering him. They're like, oh, yeah, right. there he is again. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, oh, yeah, there's John. <laughs> yeah, the trade winds. I lived across the street from the trade winds for three years. So I would oh, literally wow. just walk across. It, by day, it was a beach club. At yeah. night, every night of the week in the summertime, there was a cover band in there, like the biggest cover bands in the area. And then they would have shows. I saw Kim's yeah. X there. I saw David Lee Roth there. I saw the Black Crows there. We opened up for the Screaming Cheetah Wheelies there. Um, there were, it was just a great, great venue. Um, right now, it is about 12 mansions on the beach. That's what it is. <laughs> course that's what it is yeah, yeah. and uh, obviously you know the, the closer you get to the beach uh, the the more you're going to kind of lean into the the sort of the cover uh, the cover band aspect of it uh, you know I used to try to get down there for like the summer kickoff at a, at a place in Point Pleasant called Jenks and you know, yeah. there'd be like five six bands and it would like kind of spill out onto the beach it was usually in like April but everybody like wanted summer to start so badly they're like yeah it doesn't matter that it's cold you know yeah. <laughs> it's just... always Memorial Day weekend it's always yeah. the, the Friday Memorial Day weekend I am literally within walking distance of <laughs> oh, Jenkins I, I live a couple not uh, like a couple miles away so yeah i'm in between that asbury area and the point pleasant area right yeah and it's just uh you know the the music was was always so prevalent because even as a kid you know my family we used to go to long beach island and up to seaside and stuff it just like the the not even i'm not even talking about live music just music is so loud all the time you know you mm -hmm. can't get away from music uh when you're out on the boardwalk any of those places and uh you know, it's a it's a very different sort of layout when you go anywhere else. You know, plenty of other beach communities like in L.A. where I live now. It doesn't doesn't have that feel at all. So it's great. So you guys play a lot, of, I assume, around the area. But being the house band for the Stone Pony, you said you did that when you were 18. That I was like 18, been, yeah, 18, 19 years old. That that must have been like, you know, that's like the equivalent of like a, a trade school, a college, you know, just yeah. all rolled into one, just sitting there. What, what uh, were some of the most unique experiences from just being there every week at the stone pony? Um, you know, we could do, we could pull anything off. We would do a almond brothers cover for a half an hour and people would just love it. It was always nice. crowded. The <laughs> pony in its heyday was, uh, you know, when we came a little after, of course the heyday was with Bruce and, you know, sure. we were talking seventies, eighties, you know, we came after that, but um, because we were the house band for a short period of time, we got to open for everybody. Like we play with Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. We don't, we never fit in with him, but we got to be on those shows because people got to see us every week and we would draw people to the shows. So that we had the Pony, we had the Fast Lane, which was another great venue where bands like Soundgarden, Faith No More, Pantera, they all, you know, when they came into town, they didn't play the Pony because they weren't big enough yet. So they would oh, play wow. the Fast Lane. Yeah. Now, Fast Lane held about 500 people, where the Pony was always eight, 900 people. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, you know, bands from the rest of the country, you know, being yeah. out on the road, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a lot attached to, you know, playing in New York City. But, uh, you know, it's it's almost like it's easier if, to put your routing out near the shore or whatever, uh, you know, further up north in New Jersey from where you are. Uh, I always loved a place in Hoboken called Maxwell's because it was so yeah. small that the bands would have to walk through the audience to get to the stage and then walk back through the audience to get off the stage 
And right. uh, I, I once saw a band called Rocket from the Crypt who uh, they were just like, all right, so we're going to we're going to pretend that we're leaving the stage. So they all kind of laid down and just were there and then <laughs> jumped up for the encore. And That's I was like, yeah, it's actually pretty smart. <laughs> I used to play the whiskey bar in uh, Hoboken. all Oh, the time. sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hoboken used to be such a hot spot. There's really not much out there anymore as far as music goes. Yeah, I lived there uh, in 1999 for like that entire year. And, uh, you know, you go back now and it, it it feels like, I don't know, it feels like Williamsburg, you know, in a, in a way where it's like every, you know, and, and like I had friends who lived there for a while, but it's like they can't even afford to live in Hoboken anymore. You know, oh, no. I mean, it was like no, I ended up in Hoboken because I couldn't afford to live in the city. But now it's like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anybody lives anywhere, Gene. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's well, crazy. Hoboken, the city, Jersey city. Like it's, yeah, yeah it's, you gotta be, you gotta be well off to be up in those areas. These yeah. Days. But it, it, it's too bad because there, there was a kind of a great scene, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Hoboken had all those bars. Uh, there was a great record store called tunes that I think might actually still be there. I'm not sure, you know, and uh, it's was such a small compact little area and you walk around and obviously the layout's completely different on the shore, but that is kind of the fun of, you know, walking from one bar and then like uh, you hear that band playing at the right. uh, the other bars. Like, well, I was going to go home, but uh, I, I now have a convenient excuse to uh, head out and drink some more. And uh, that, uh, yeah, it seems like it's a it's a great scene. But uh, the, the sort of the obvious question is how how is it, you know, being sort of the house band and being a regular there when not so much in the fall, but like in the middle of winter, you know, I mean, I'll talk to, you know, comedians who play, you know, Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant and mm -hmm. there's plenty of locals, but uh, what's the different vibe when like all the, you know, basically all the summer people go away. Well, you still get people that come out for the music for sure, sure. for the area and the bands that draw, they're going to draw their people. You know, we've been lucky enough to have people come to see us all the time. So, you know, we have a good fan base. So, yeah, of course, it's not you're not going to get that walk in traffic that you would get off the, you know, the boardwalk or if you're playing yeah. somewhere down the beach. But, you know, there's still a good thriving scene in the wintertime for sure. So uh, Colossal Street Jam, obviously, you guys have been at it for a while and uh, I, mm -hmm. I do really enjoy the the new song uh, we were uh, we're talking about in the beginning. Uh, no Way to Live. Now, there's a video that goes with it. And uh, for our visual audience, it's one of the usual they've heard me say it every time is we'll show it to you, but uh, we can't listen because it's, <laughs> you know, you can tell me right now, like, well, it's my song. Go ahead. And uh, I'll still get like a strike from YouTube. But uh, talk a little bit about putting this this video together and then the song itself no way to live um this video is actually done on the land of our keyboard hammond organ player eric safka he has a full barn and studio and a couple acres um so we had done some videos before where we went into production studios this one we had the idea no way to live was um written before covid but it was written about um just being down and out people that we know that have been down and out. And then it just took on a life of its own as we recorded it and then got into the ideas for the video more of about a veteran who's uh, struggling. He's out on the road, living in a van, you know, having people steal his stuff, you know, it just, uh, w that's what uh, the video was about. Um, and the song kind of leans that way. There's a line in there that says uh, the terror in my coat is where my, where my future goes, or I think that's what it says, but um, <laughs> I'll just stick it off the top of my head, but it, it really is um, just about being down and out. And you can see in the video and 
you know, that's what we're portraying here. And then the band's in the studio. This is our studio. So um, we just decided to have our um, videographer, who's done a couple of our videos before, come down from Brooklyn and uh, just spend a day or two with us and just get the footage. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, I, you know, the fact that you explained that uh, there's a barn makes the uh, you know it, it sort of makes it all look sen- it makes sense. You know, there's obviously mm-hmm. the wood background, but it's uh, it's very compact, but uh, in a way that's probably great for you know re- rehearsing, playing. The sounds probably great in there. It's but, big. Uh, it's actually huge. The okay, barn, the barn can yeah. fit a tour bus in there. It's got a, <laughs> it's got a wood workshop. It's got oh an artist God. shop. It's got a Hammond because Eric fixes Hammonds. And then the whole upstairs is the studio. It's oh, big. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. No. Wow. That to see that, uh, it, 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 you know, I didn't imagine it as a shack. I imagined it like a, like a barn barn, but yeah, mm-hmm. now it seems like it's a, it's like a whole a complex that he's got out there, but yeah. uh, it definitely adds to a cool look. And, you know, this idea of no way to live be being sort of down and out. And, uh, you know, until you said it, it's like, you know, now we're, you know, the further we get away from COVID, I didn't even think about it. But obviously, sort of in that moment in time, it uh, was there was definitely I was definitely talking to a lot of musicians who had, uh, you know, in 2020, 2021 had songs that were kind of inspired by what was going on. Some of them were really good. Some of them were like, you know, earnest and, and well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. But uh, I that didn't that didn't even uh, come to mind when this, when I heard this. But it makes sense that you're saying that the song had actually been written before that. So, yeah. Yeah. The whole record was written in the studio. Um, the mm-hmm. record will be out in February through Fret Bar. We signed with Fret Bar Records. So um, they're going to release the, the whole album. And it's really it's not a concept record in any way at all. But if you put the songs together, it really kind of feels like, you know, somebody's journey through, you know, being alone, um, anxiety, depression, um, you know, struggling. So all the songs kind of lend towards that. And it just, I guess it was the mindset we were all in at the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's different. There's, there's an instrumental on the record. There's a ballad on the record. There's some, uh, we've got Lorenza Ponce. Um, I don't, if you know who she is, violin player for the Dixie Chicks, Cheryl Crow. She played on, uh, who said you can't go home from Bon Jovi. She's playing on one song on the record, Anthony Kryzan of the Spin Doctors and his own original music. Anthony's fantastic. He's a good friend of ours. He plays on a song. So the album just crosses a lot of different genres um, of a 70s style band, but um, it really touches on more of, um, I wouldn't say happy happy themes. It's more of uh, kind of like a down and out kind of feel for the record. Yeah, no, I mean, it obviously comes across uh, in this song. And uh, sorry, you said that the album will be out in February. From, yes. Uh, Fret, Fret Bar Records, which is a great name for a record company. I have to admit, I hadn't heard of them until I went to the website that was uh, in the notes for you. And I'm like, Fret Bar is a fantastic name. And, and yeah. our visual audience uh, sees their logo there right now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so uh, in, in terms of finding you specifically the band is is it just a is there a colossal street jam website social media Mm -hmm. i want to make sure we get all that stuff in here yeah our website is new and improved and actually got the gave the thumbs up on the new website this morning it's uh, colossalstreetjam.com uh we're on fretbarrecords.com facebook instagram twitter um as far as music you can get our um other albums, we have a record from 2016 called Living Free. We have EP 2018 called Just Take Hold. They're on all your streaming platforms, YouTube, 
you know, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, the the list of uh, you know bands that you've uh, shared the stages with. Uh, you mentioned some of them. It, it's uh, mm -hmm. fairly diverse, and you know it was interesting. You mentioned Bruce Dickinson because that was one that uh, that definitely stood out. Uh, but you know, I mean, everything you mentioned, Screaming Cheetah Wheelies, uh, Mark Farner, uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's the Black Crows. Uh, now, did you get to, did you just like open for them? Did you get to interact with those guys at all? Did not I'm, get to interact whatsoever. And I was disappointed because I love Chris Robinson. Yeah. But, and I, I, you know, my feeling for that is probably it has, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, him, him oh, being no. one of those guys that doesn't want to talk to the opener. It's probably just like, you know, point me where I'm going and, and yep. all that. I've heard really long interviews with him he's a he's got a great mind for music and you want to talk about somebody whose musical taste is really expansive you know i mean he spent uh, out in the desert near la they had a, a show called power trip which was all these heavy metal mm -hmm. and uh, yep. hard rock bands chris robinson was just there all three days watching all the bands because he was awesome. to see iron maiden and judas priest and all that and it's like you know it's uh i i was talking to uh i, I was talking to frank hannon from tesla earlier this week about how you know a lot of times people get pigeonholed like oh you're you're a metalhead because you're in a metal band and mm -hmm. you know he's he's in a hard rock band but he he has a lot of stuff that's got a little bit more of a country sound and i i feel like most people aren't you know there's going to be exceptions of course like i definitely had friends in high school that it was like yeah they like two bands and they wouldn't want to listen to anything else but right. for the most part i think people really like a little bit of, of everything and you know i mean maybe not everybody likes you know hip-hop and that's not kind of right. what i mean but like you know the different kinds of rock and you know country i think is so different than when i was a kid that uh you know you'll hear it, it, thinking of this because of frank hannon he had a song that i was saying to him it sounded like almost like country music and i think it's just you know it's just sort of like whatever you feel matches the song you know and right. uh you know you're you're a colossal street jam and it's really hard to you know just listening to this song and there are a couple of other things on youtube uh it's really hard to pigeonhole but i think that's a good thing you know to not be like hey you're this kind of band you know yeah um i think we lend towards the hard you know the the 70s harder rock sure. but we're all influenced by so many things and it's funny that you you talk about it because i'm going to see lorna shore tonight um you know do you know who lorna shore is i don't actually no no they are know. like a deathcore band so oh wow okay yeah, i'm a big metal head yeah. Um, but I also, my, most of my influences come from R and B singers, um, D'Angelo, Prince, um, those type of guys, Terrence Trent Darby, when I was growing up, that's who I really loved, uh, on top of Mark Farner and Paul Rogers and Joey Belladonna from Anthrax. And, you know, I've had, I cross all these different genres. I love all different kinds of music. So, um, yeah, you know, when we got together, I was singing in a metal band. Um, when okay. Colossal got together, when I met Sal and Tony, I was singing, you know, anthrax type stuff, but I was influenced by everything. It just happened to be what I was doing at the time. But even to this day, I listen to uh, liquid metal on Sirius XM. That's the only station I listen to. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, it's a, to. yeah, no, that's a, it, it's, it's kind of a great point. And, you know, you obviously reference Prince and there's, you know, a guy who had some of the poppiest pop songs ever, but, you know, one of like just a phenomenal guitarist on top of all of it, you know, just the mix that, uh, that you had come out of uh, that catalog. It's crazy. And uh, yeah. Terrence Trent Darby is somebody that uh, I hadn't thought about in a long time. I mean, he had that song wishing well, that's sort of what yeah. comes to mind right away. And uh, you know, I feel like, I, you know, you, there's always, one of those 
no, not one of those. There's plenty of those bands or performers. You're like, yeah, whatever happened. But not in the sense that like they weren't talented. It's just somebody catches on, and I guess somebody doesn't. You know, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Well, his I, first record was the one that was the poppy one, and then he got very experimental after that, and yeah. he kind of fell off, uh, you know, favor with the pop, you know, scene. But he released like four or five really great records, oh, um, wow. and then he changed his name to Sananda Montreya. And he just really plays in Europe. That's all he does. And he still releases music and he's still fantastic. He really is. He's more of a guitar player now. Like he goes out with a trio. He plays guitar and he has a bass player and drummer and he just sings his songs. There's no keyboards. There's no like big production. It's just, you know, he's been able to keep a uh, lifestyle playing music, but it's just different than what he did when he released you know, wishing well and sign your name and all that stuff that came out. I really love those records, but I found more interest in neither fish nor flesh or vibrator and stuff that came after that because he was so experimental. He went from gospel to like punk to just oh, R&B. Like it's really some good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, interesting because uh, I'm not going to lie. I hadn't thought about him in a long time and now you're giving me something to think about. It's like, Oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a whole lot to, to check out. And, uh, yeah. but, but it, you know, look, it just speaks to what we were saying a few minutes ago that it's just like, you know, you're, you're talking about like, Oh, I heard this. I thought it was really great. I really liked it. And uh, I, I think that that happens to a lot of artists, you know, uh, he had the poppy record and then went and did something else. And you have a band like, Sugar Ray, who was one thing, and then they yeah. had a couple of pop songs, and they're like, "Oh, well, we're gonna do that." And yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's I, I, and look, I think it's just the path that somebody chooses to take, you know. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, bands, you know, I talk a lot about Kiss on uh, my interviews because uh, you know I was a fan since I was a kid, and there's there's still some, but you want to talk about somebody who was willing to alienate their fans in chasing mm -hmm. the next thing. You know, I mean, one of their biggest songs is a disco song. Their, right. their only mm -hmm. top 10 hit is a ballad, you know? And I mean, they even did a grunge record, you know? So it's a, uh, it, it's a little bit, uh, it's interesting because there, then you have, you have somebody who it's like, yeah, this is kind of just what I do. You know, I always think of like Tom Petty definitely had some different sounds, but like, you know, from his first record to his last record, you're like, yeah, it's kind of like, that through line you know it's Tom. Yeah. you know it's tom petty yeah it's kind yeah. of the same genre and i i am a huge kiss fan as well i i love paul stanley um yeah i just saw them on the reunion but it was the start of not the reunion the um the end of the world tour wow. i saw it at the start at madison square garden i didn't get to see the last shows a couple weeks ago but um yeah. i i am i know he gets a lot of grief these days but uh paul stanley would when I, I i still think he's great no, I mean, and I think that uh, obviously it's one of those things like, you know, him and Gene in particular in their 70s, you know, stomping around on stage and all that get up. And, you know, it's yeah. crazy to think about. You can understand wanting to retire. Uh, but obviously Paul Stanley in his prime, you know, I mean, and I'm not, you know, it's like songs like. Uh, I still love you. The open of oh uh, heavens that's on fire. He, song. he just has these notes that he hits and it's almost like somebody no should have told you about that song. No one talks about that song. I his still vocals, love you. Yeah. His yeah. vocals on that song are outstanding. And outstanding. it, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I, 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 I was talking about this recently and there's there's a live version of that, I think, on Kiss Alive 3. And it's like he's just it's like, oh, he's just showing off that what he can do. And there's that idea of like, 
ah, but maybe you save a little bit in the tank. You don't, you know, you don't leave it all out there uh, so that, but like everybody gets older, but uh, you know, and it's uh, look, there's nothing more entertaining than listening to those compilations of uh, Paul Stanley stage raps, you know, where he yeah, talks about I like, it. Oh, I was at the hotel yesterday and you're like, none of this ever happened, but you're kind of hanging on waiting for the next yeah. thing. And that high pitched, I watched, I saw a video from the garden from yeah. the last shows and someone brought their kid backstage and the kid was doing like the stage rant and Paul was hysterical laughing. And then he started oh, doing great. it back at the kid. It was like five years old. It was hysterical. Oh, that's, that's, you got to look that up. It, it, oh it no, was, I definitely, I definitely want to see that. Yeah. I, I saw that. It's funny. You're talking about the end of the road tour. I saw them like five times on the end of the road tour going back to like 2019. They played uh, the Hollywood bowl in about a little bit, like six weeks ago. So that was, that, that was the last time I, I saw them. I'm uh, not particularly interested in the, sort of the uh, the avatars going forward yeah, and, yeah, uh, and and all of that. You know, I'm, I'm sort of like it's like I'm intrigued by the the mechanisms of it. Like, you know, there was that Ronnie James Dio hologram that went around. I kind of like the idea of it. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know that I need it. You know, it's like yeah. it's like I want to see how it works, but I don't want to pay 50 to 100 dollars to see it you know i just uh, you know i'd like to i'd like to walk by at like i don't know like an expo somewhere where they're like and check out how these kiss holograms work you know but uh anyway so uh yeah it's a it's uh just uh fun to uh you know it's it very there's so many musicians that at some point uh you know kiss enters the conversation you know you, you talked about anthrax and just how much those guys love mm -hmm. kiss it's just yep. you know and like super nerdy you know like oh yeah you know i read this 500 page book about music from the elder and i'm like i didn't even know there was a 500 page book <laughs> about music for how do you fit 500 pages of music from the elder but uh uh, anyway, Gene, Colossal Street Jam. Uh, I uh, look forward to hearing more when the uh, album comes out. You said it'll be February from Fret Bar Records. And it, it, you've got it simple, right? ColossalStreetJam.com. That's it. So plain and, and simple. Uh, you can find us on all the social media and all the streaming platforms. Right. And uh, there's uh, there's some stuff on YouTube, and I assume there'll, there'll be more as we get uh, closer to the album. Yes. And, uh well, Gene Potts, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, I hope that uh, you have a happy new year and that 2024 is a great year. Uh, you've got the album coming out, so uh, that's it's going to be off to a great start, it sounds like to me. Yeah, I'm going to hit the road in March as well. So I'm uh, waiting on those tour dates, um, March into April, and then we'll see where we go from there. All right, absolutely. Well, ColossalStreetJam.com, that's where you'll find out uh, when they'll be on the road. Uh, yep. Maybe they'll be somewhere near you. And, of course, uh, the album will come out. And our audio audience, you'll get to hear a little bit of No Way to Live. But for our visual audience, I mean, it'd be so easy to just type in right over my head and just type in Colossal Street Jam, and then you'll be able to find the video there, too. Uh, thanks again, Gene. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Thanks. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I love talking Thank about all the music stuff. So, so great. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. It's always, it's always fun. Uh, it's uh, it's always a high point of the day when I get to chat with somebody and uh, you never know where the conversation is going to take you. We talked about kiss and Terrence Trent Darby, uh, you know, so that'll probably uh, never happen again for you. <laughs> no, I mean, talk about the Bender from Futurama and Terrence Trent, Trent Darby. No, neither one of those were on the uh, bingo. <laughs> uh, thanks again to Gene Potts. Thanks buddy. Appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to The Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. Joining me now is musician Aaron Lee. My gosh, it's Aaron Lee, right? It is Aaron Lee, yes. Yeah, and I've said your name before, and I look at it, and I'm about to say Aaron Lee, and I'm like, no, it's Aaron Lee. I've talked to him before. Well, (laughs) we're off to a great start, but that's all right. We'll see you next time on the Blackcast. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on the Blackcast. Welcome to the party, pal. Naughty. Christian Blatt, I suspect. You know, I would start looking into Christian Blatt. Blatt it. I don't know. Nobody knows how to say it. It's the eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the night Rising up to the challenge of arrival And the last no survival Все, ребята, я сдулся Let's go to the Blackcast and subscribe there Because uh, I'm sure all of you are already subscribed to who are these podcasts <gasps> Mr. Blackcast is in the chat Oh my god, it's Christian we have so many heathens now. I'm reading out all of them. Uh, we got one gifted to Lesser Logic, one to the Blackcast, you son of a bitch. This is my friend Christian. He This this little fucker does know oh, who I Black am. Oh, Blackcast? Yeah. Christian, I've already forgotten about you. Christian who? <laughs> this is why you're stupid, Christian. This is why you're dumb. Christian's also a huge Doctor yeah. Who fan. How dare we find masculine men hot? That's crazy. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Christian. Can you please call Christian Blatt after this and explain yeah. to him <laughs> quality control? Yeah, right. Thank you. We're fighting for our right to live the way we need to, to exist in a festive world for 55 to 57 full days. And the Bladcast showing up, my buddy Christian. Hello, I'm Conrad Bain. What's the matter, Senor Luigi? You look a little nervous. I'm very nervous. No invite. <laughs> Who are you, Christian Bland? We're Christian, you are, you're a talker. Talk about, no, you're like the I worst podcast ever. Well, this has been the Blackcast. You can find me at Christian DMZ. Jeff Duray, not on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to break into a Slim Jim. Yeah. <laughs> not a good game <laughs> but you haven't heard christian blatt do it <laughs> oh, that's true i forgot christian blatt did that with us the black cast so thank you christian how is it that wendy is so much so better at this than stud joe chad and kevin brennan whoa hacka hackers as pissed off as Vinny is at you yeah you yeah, should yeah. be at christian blatt and eric Zane. <laughs> this one came in from uh, my buddy christian blatt the black cast thank you for the 199 christian uh cardiff grab your guitar to play whole lot of rosie Mousies? The Bloodcast 199. Who's had more hands up their bum? Chad or Tukey? <laughs> Chad. Thank you, Bloodcast. Bloodcast. The Bloodcast is 100% right. Uh, the Bloodfest. The Bloodcast. The Bloodcast. One of the best podcasts you can ever see. The Bloodcast. Whoop de doo. We're watching it. We got no Wi Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Bloodcast. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500 last time I checked. Totally forgot. I am doing the Bladcast tomorrow. Uh, the Bladcast, 499. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs>
That was not my fault. Tuki loves you all more than a friend. I love Tuki. Yay! <laughs> hacka hacka! I'm so excited! Try anything you cancel, bro. Let's see. <laughs> oh, yeah! I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. Mickey is no tin dog. Naughty. What is that? That, my silly friend, is the sound of bells. What are bells? AMC Theatres. We make movies better.